Welcome to episode one of the Voices of Hope podcast. For the first few episodes, our hosts will be sharing their own stories so that you can get to know each of them individually. Since Jeff has already shared his own story on the Voices of Hope project, Joseph and Jeff really focus on Joseph's story and where that journey has taken him over the years. That includes stopping weekly attendance and the scary process of coming back to church when he felt that desire. They couple that with a great discussion on ways that we can better support anyone as they're trying to do better in their own lives, but specifically on how we can love those that are trying to figure themselves out. They also talk about the recent North Star Conference, a first for Joseph, and compare that to Jeff's first North Star Conference years ago. He goes on to talk about the reason that he's chosen to be so involved with North Star and the impact that that conference had on him. All of that and more are part of today's Voices of Hope podcast. Welcome to another episode of Voices of Hope podcast. We are your hosts for today, Jeff Case and Joseph Picone. We thought that for today, as guests, we would like to introduce each other and interview each other as if we're both on this podcast, and we're excited to be part of this great project. Yeah, you know, just kind of echoing that, Jeff, it is really exciting to to be here and to have a chance to share stories with, with others. I know you and I have had a chance to, to know each other for probably the last decade. Um, we met together in Texas, and, and here in a minute, I'll let you share that story, but Maybe we can kick off by telling telling our guests or our listeners what's your story and why North Star. What you know? What brings you here today? Yeah, that's a great question. Thanks. Um, so I, I want to kind of start off by pointing off that my longer version of my story. I'll kind of be brief today, but the longer version of my story can be found at the ldsvoicesofhope.org website. Um, my wife and I wrote out a Vo- Voices of Hope essay and did a video in 2014. And so for those who are interested in that longer version, please go to the website. But I'll kind of give you a little backstory. I am an Air Force brat, so I moved all over the world, lived in a lot of different places. But um, And then as, a, as an adult, I joined the Army. So I've been kind of a career military person until very recently when I got out of the Army and moved back to Utah. Uh, I met my wife in college, and we were married two years later. It's now been, we'll celebrate our 24th anniversary in August, and we have three great kids. Uh, well, I, I say kids, but two of them are already uh, legally adults, but uh, they bring Jeff, I just want to say that is super cool because I've not been married for 24 years. I've been only married for 13, and I just think it's remarkable um, to hear people who have been faithful. And, and as I mentioned, and, and as we've mentioned, we're going to hear more about these stories, but I just wanted to recognize that that's so cool that you guys have been married for 24 years. You have three great kids and we're going to hear more about that. Yeah. Thanks. No, I, I've, I've had a very blessed life. Um, I can't deny that. And I think we're going to talk about some of those reasons as we kind of get into this. Um, I first learned of North star though, through voices of hope. It was a book that a ward member gave me uh, when I was living in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, the book was called Voices of Hope by Ty Mansfield, and I knew I recognized that name. I uh, went on to Facebook to look up this guy, Ty Mansfield, because I was very impressed with the message and the way that he was talking about uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, and how different it was from you know, when I first came in contact with the LGBTQ LDS population in the, in the 90s. Um, I, looked, sorry, I looked up Ty Mansfield on Facebook on Facebook. And we had exactly one friend in common, one mutual friend, and it was an army buddy. And so through that connection, I reached out and said, Hey, Ty, love your book. I'd love to chat. And he said, Hey, Jeff, let's chat. Um, and through that <laughs> meeting, I got to meet Joseph Picone. Do you want to tell that story? Cause it's a pretty great story. <laughs> yeah. So it's, you know, it's funny. Um, probably I was in preparation for this podcast. I was looking back. I'm like, when did I first get to know Ty? And I, similar to Je- to you, Jeff, I had reached out to Ty back in 2010, and um, I'd been married for three years at the time, or two years at the time, and had a child living in Austin um, as a social worker, getting ready to go to social work school. And um, I reached out to Ty. I just felt felt the need to connect with other folks who experienced same gender attraction, um, and were living faithful to the gospel of Jesus Christ as as, as the Church of Jesus Christ, you know outlines. 
And, um, and I found him and, and I read the, the in quiet desperation and, um, Side note and confession here. I've actually never read Ty's portion of that book. I've only read the other story and it was really touching me. And um, either way, I felt impressed to reach out to Ty and I did. And at first, who it, you know, I just said, hey, is this who you are? And he said, yes. And then when I came back and said, hey, I want to learn more about your story. And, um, and you know, I thank you for everything you're doing. Then it started a dialogue and we've we've stayed connected since that time. Um, so anyway, Jeff was living in Austin. I think you're or, sorry. I was living in Austin and Jeff was in San Antonio at the time. And, uh, Ty was coming to a conference in San Antonio and wanted to get a group of us together. And so we got together and, um, we met up for some really awesome pizza and, and it was an op- opportunity to meet other people. So I was really excited, um, to finally connect with real people who also experienced same gender attraction, but were also um, living faithfully in the gospel. And so Jeff has an interesting, Jeff, maybe you want to share, you know, I was there first, Jeff got there shortly thereafter. Jeff, maybe you there want to share some. <laughs> there we this pizzeria, right? And, and, and none of us had ever met in person. Um, but I walked into uh, this little pizzeria um, and yeah, I saw Joseph kind of sitting up against the wall and he was very well dressed and had a very neat, clean, quaffed appearance and i'm like well if anyone's here to meet another gay person it's probably him so (laughs) and sure enough we were there we were totally there but it was kind of i remember that night and it was kind of pivotal for me jeff i remember walking away from that feeling like hey for the first time i'm not alone and um and i think it was it was just really cool because the other narratives that i had heard before were people who had left the church or maybe had not had positive experiences within the framework of the gospel. And so to find somebody and other people who are thriving and who are loving it, um, again, it just made me feel like I wasn't alone. It was the very first time I remember feeling that. Yeah. And that was a, the best part of this. And this is kind of why I love North Star so much, but we'll get to that, but um, was that connection, right? So I had as a gay man in the army uh, during the years of don't ask, don't tell, it was repealed actually just before I got out of the army, but uh, I'd kind of kept this side of me sort of at arm's length and not really wanting to talk about it or to reach out to people. Uh, a few people in my close circles knew my family mostly knew, um, but not having anyone to kind of share this with. And that led to a lot of like loneliness. And I think when people are lonely, when I was lonely, uh, you know, a lot of unhealthy things come from that loneliness. And, and it, it came on so gradually, Joseph, like, like it took like years to kind of envelop this, that I didn't know how lonely I was until we had a pizza together. And I'm like, it's oh. totally, <laughs> totally. And, and you realize all of a sudden there was this need that, that you had that, that maybe you weren't totally aware of. And I'll, you know, I'll speak for myself. It certainly wasn't something that I was totally aware of, but when it was met, I realized like, holy cow, this is, this is great. And how do I continue this? So, so I know we've stayed friends since then. I've stayed in touch with Ty. I've stayed in touch with other folks and I've had the pleasure of meeting other people along the way. And, and again, that's the beauty and that's the wonder of, of North star is that it brings people together in a really cool way that, you know, people who are interested in living the gospel and, and feeling like, Hey, is there a space for me? And, and the resounding response from North star is yes. And by the way, you're not alone. Yeah. Well, I'd like to ask you, Joseph, because I, w- I don't want to jump ahead too much, but I want to kind of hear sort of your background, a bit of your um, autobiography, how, uh, you know, where you're from, uh, kind of how you grew to understand yourself. Um, and yeah, for sure. Don't skip your uh, adolescent years because those were interesting. <laughs> they were interesting. And you know what? Um, I know there's probably going to be a wide audience who who will listen to this and and some of it will resonate. And people are like, I remember that crazy kid. And, um, I remember when I had, um, so let me take a step back. So I grew up, I was born and raised in Texas, Fort Worth, Texas, and lived there till my early twenties. Um, I was one of eight children. I was the youngest. I was the only boy. Wow. And I remember just always being different, Jeff. I just remember always being different. And not only did I feel different, but other people knew that I was different. And, and I knew that because they'd make comments like, oh, there's that faggot or there's that gay kid or they'd always make comments always. And so from a very early age, there was a narrative um, that would run in my head that it was just like, Hey, you're this, 
other um, that people are referring to as gay and, and fag or whatever it might be. And um, that just, that has an impact on people. Words, words, contrary to what that, you know, words don't hurt it. They absolutely do. And they have an impact. And I remember just carrying that with me for a long time. And, and I think over time I tried compensating for that in a number of ways and a lot of unhealthy ways, kind of what you were saying is, you know, you try to find different ways to compensate. And, and I did, I found a lot of different ways to do that. Um, and so by the time I reached high school, I was kind of an emotional mess. I'm trying to, you know, high school's tough for everybody. Um, but then there was this added element of like, who am I? I know people keep calling me these names, but what does that even mean for me? I know that I'm attracted to guys. I know that, um, I know that this is not okay within with at church or even within my family. Uh, you know, that's how it felt for me. You know, if somebody, how did, ever, how did you get that? You recall kind of like uh, how you understood that that was not okay. Like what, what messages were you hearing? What were you internalizing that made you feel like I'm not okay? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think, I think it was the messages from, from other people outside of my family about gay people, the snide remarks, people, you know, boys called other boys gay, not in a complimentary way. It was, it was, Hey, you're less than, and whatever gay meant, it was less than, than what, than what, you know, than me or anybody else. And, and that was, that was hurtful. I think for me in my home, my dad was kind of a, uh, my dad's like a stereotypical guy. So a, a man's man in many ways. And, um, I just was not interested in things that he was interested in. And that was, it was apparent that, that he and I were different in the way, um, we interacted. We just didn't see eye to eye on stuff. And it wasn't just cause I was young and I was dumb and I was figuring stuff out. I think like other teenagers, I just think it was really clear. Like we had different interests and, and I think in some measure he, there were, I remember a couple of times him pulling me aside and talking to me about, um, kind of feminine behaviors that I exhibited. And, um, and I, in retrospect, I, I respect that he was doing it from a good place because he probably was concerned about how, uh, how I was being treated. And he was, it was his way of trying to help me to mitigate some of that. Um, but the message that I got from that was like, Hey, yeah, you should really stop doing these things and stop being you. And you really need to get you know, cause I wasn't in my head enough. Now I got to really be thinking about this cause my dad's bringing it to my attention. So again, it was just those little sly things. I remember this one time he made a comment about, um, the way I was moving my hands and I got so upset with him. I was eating a bowl of cereal and I just threw it at him. I chunked it at him and just like stormed off. I was so pissed. And you know what? I'm grateful for my dad because maybe in an, some other dad or in another situation, probably would have popped me across the head or gotten angry with me. And my dad never did. And I think my dad, I thank him for that, but I think he was probably, he really was coming from a good place and probably felt like, damn it. I just put my foot in my mouth again and um, was trying to, trying to help a son who was struggling in the best way he knew how, but even for him, it was a struggle. You know, I love that. That's a, it's a very gracious approach to, um, these hurtful things, like understanding that your father was, he did, he did love you. Um, yeah. and, and so even though the behaviors were hurtful they came from a loving place and, and, as, and at the time as an adolescent, you, of course, you're not going to see that. Right? <laughs> we put that together later in life as adults. We think back, I can see what you were trying to do. Yeah. And, uh, I can appreciate that, but also it hurt. Yeah, you're right. And it, and it didn't, you know, thankfully he and I have had those conversations and I'm grateful for him. And again, for me, I'm grateful that a, f a father who, who had the sense enough to say, um, you know, Joseph's probably really struggling. I don't need to get angry that he just threw this bowl of milk and cereal at me. So anyway, so, you know, that was kind of my high school years. I ended up dropping out of high school. I got kicked out of a magnet program that I was in, in Fort Worth. And then I had to go to my, my home school. Um, my last day of school was Halloween of 2000 and I never went back to school after that. And I kind of just fell off the wagon and, um, moved out of my house, actually got kicked out of my house for, um, for a number of reasons left kind of explored the gay world and try to find 
piece in that. And, um, and I didn't find it and, you know, nothing, you know, I'm not here to say anything about other people making those choices, but for me, it just, it didn't work. And I found myself at some point, I was 19 wanting to come back home or, or wanting something in my life. And I had this really cool experience where, um, I prayed, I wouldn't say for the first time, um, but it's probably the first time in a long time earnest in earnest. Um, this is after years of me praying and feeling like my prayers weren't being answered. Um, but I had this thought come to me. It was a line from that primary song, heavenly father, are you really there? Oh, wow. And that just resonated with me. I think it's called a child's prayer and it just yeah, resonated yeah. with me. And so I, I followed that thought and I, I knelt down, I was in my apartment <clears throat> And I nailed down and I prayed and I remember just this overwhelming sense. I, you know, we all use the word peace in the gospel. We say it's peace and Christ uses the word peace, but it just doesn't do it justice, Jeff. This is like a, um, it's, it's just, I can't describe it, but there was just, it felt like a warm embrace that, wiped away years of pain, years of hurt, years of feeling abandoned, years of feeling confused, of unaccepted, um, all gone. Just, I mean, just like that. And it was the very first time that I had experienced anything like that. And that was kind of the turning point for me. So shortly thereafter, I had the thought to reach out to my parents. I'd gone to their house and I was just kind of laying in my parents' bed and my mom came in. And she's, and I had been there for a couple of hours and she's like, okay, so like, what's going on? And I was like, can I stay? Like, I'd like to stay. And, um, my mom said, you probably need to talk to your dad about that. And, and just a little context, I had done some, I stolen money from them. I'd done a lot of horrible things. So it wasn't like my parents were turning their back. I think they finally just drew a boundary after years of abuse and things that children should not do to their parents. Yeah. Yeah. And so making sure my dad was in the loop on that, I think my, was the right decision. And, um, and I did, I talked to my dad about it and true to form. My dad was like, yeah, absolutely come back. And so I stayed, I never left my parents' house again after that. And I started kind of the slow making my way slowly back to church. And I've been in the church since. So that's, that's a little bit about my background. That's, <laughs> that's, uh, that's quite a story, Joseph. Um, and very powerful. It's kind of a, a modern telling of the prodigal son. Yeah. Well, and it, it was interesting. It kind of felt that way in many ways because my parents were pretty prominent in the church, um, had done a lot for the Spanish work in the area. So people knew us, knew me. And I think there are probably a lot of people praying and fasting and, and rooting for me. I just know that when I came back, it was very much like the prodigal son. Not only were my parents embracing me, but the church collectively, there was this embrace of like, Joseph, you're back. It's so good to see you. And I mean, just hugs and an outpouring of love. And, and that was critical, Jeff. When I think about where my life had been and where it was trying to go, if it wasn't for the, you know, I think about the Siemens, I think about this Mickey Strain, I think about Tammy McLaughlin, who are people who um, were in my life as youth and who were there when I was ready to come back to church and who just embraced me, who just loved me loved me who there weren't questions about what I had done or what I was going to do going forward. They were just willing to accept that I was there today and love me for it. That's really beautiful. And I think that's kind of a, a really important critical piece as we talk about our faith community and, and sometimes the difficulty people have when they leave and the difficulty they have when they want to come back. Um, are they met with, you know, in, in either instance, are they met with judgment, with scorn, with condemnation, with, you know, all the things that we think that we're doing to be helpful, and I'm using air quotes here because what usually is happening is uh, they're, they're microaggressions. They are they're things that can really hurt, especially a young person. You were very young and impressionable, yeah. of course. And, and the impression that you got when you came back wasn't, yeah. well, it's time to repent and go see the bishop. And no, it was yeah. hugs and kisses and yay, we're excited. You know, let's burn a fatted calf or whatever it is they did back Yes. <laughs> that's exactly, and that's exactly how it felt, Jeff. And I remember just sitting in sacrament meeting after sacrament meeting thereafter, 
just weeping in, in the pew at the light, the love, the warmth that I felt in that space that I did not feel anywhere else. And, um, and again, it, it wasn't just because yes, God was reaching out to me, but he was also reaching out to me through all of these different individuals who created a community and a home that, that made me want to be back. And so there had always been this yearning and it was kind of an extension of that prayer that I had made after reflecting on that, a child's prayer, it just kind of continued. And so there was kind of a, a critical moment. So I'd gone on a mission. I'd gotten my life together and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to go on a mission because of everything that I'd lived through and been through. Um, but I went out on a mission and ended up coming back early because where did, of where did you serve your mission, Joseph. I served Mesa mission, Spanish speaking. I served for about six months and probably some of the best times of my life. My trainer was phenomenal, just a really wonderful guy. And, um, probably picked up on some of the feminine, my feminine traits and he'd make a comment here or there, but it was, but I could feel the love and it was just great. I felt accepted by him. He taught me how to play basketball and it was just, it was, it, it was just another reaffirmation that, Hey, I've made the right choice. I'm home. This is where I need to be. These are your people. Uh, This is your tribe. These are my people. These are, this is my tribe. And, um, I did ended up, I ended up making some poor decisions when I was out on a mission. I had to come home early at six months. And this was another kind of pitiful, pivotal moment that I can look to that I say, this could have made or break broken kind of years, years ahead. I wouldn't say the rest of my life, cause who knows, but certainly the, in the near term. Um, but when I came home, I had a sister who was less active and, um, man alive. She was there for me. She was there at the airport when I showed up and she just embraced me. And, um, when it was time to go to church that first Sunday, again, she's less active, right? But she went to church with me and I still remember walking into the sacrament meeting and she was holding my hand and, um, man alive. She, I could not have done that without her. And so again, and, and so I took that step and again, people embraced me. And I remember a friend of mine, she was playing at, or he was playing at the piano and they saw me walk in and he stopped playing and the, the prelude music gave me a big hug. And, and again, it was, it was never, I, I just felt welcome. I felt accepted despite whatever my challenges might've been. So I think these are all pivotal. You know, I hear other stories and, and my heart breaks for them because that has not been my experience. And I can't imagine how challenging it is when, when you do encounter that. Well, when people uh, leave um, in the face of like interpersonal trauma, relational trauma, and and I don't want to use, I don't want to throw that T word around casually, but when, when when your departure can be is traumatic and your attempts to return can be traumatic, you have to heal from a whole lot more than just what you experienced, right? And 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 I think this is a great example for people who uh, have loved ones who have either stepped away or who are trying to come back to be just open arms and love and hugs and kisses, holding hands, stopping the prelude music to give you a hug. But that's such a beautiful image. I, I mean, think about that. Like he's sitting there playing the piano, doing the prelude, and just stops, stops, gets up, gives me a hug. Oh my gosh, so good to see you. And they knew I wasn't supposed to be there. They all knew I was supposed to be on a mission. But there were never follow-up questions. No one was ever like, hey, so what happened and what's going on? Like, are you going to go back out? Or you? And um, and again, it just I think that was such a pivotal moment in my life. Yeah, that's great. Well, now lead us up to um, the part where, you know, you, you understand yourself as, as gay or same gender or attracted or whatever label you want to use. But you understood this uh, while you were in college and yet you still approached – a beautiful young woman. Yeah. And decided to get married. So tell me about your, tell me about so, that process and, and what you guys had to go through to get to the point. Yeah. Where you were so married maybe I'm, maybe I'm crazy, but in my head, I thought you to are my, crazy, I, but Joseph, that's <laughs> I always just saw myself married to a woman. I just did. I felt like that was just part of my destiny. I just felt like that was my future. And it's one that I, that I actively sought and worked work toward. So I would date, I would do all of those things. And, um, and I honestly didn't think too much about like how being attracted to other men was going to impact that or if it, if it was going to impact it in many ways in my, in my naivete, I didn't think too much about it. I do remember though, and, uh, I had been, I met my wife 
on campus at BYU-Idaho. Her name's Catherine. And we were both supporting a scholarship program, kind of working to develop it and grow it. And she was sitting in on this meeting that I had been attending for the last couple of weeks. She shows up new. We go around the room and introduce ourselves. And she says, hi, my name is Catherine with a C, not Kat, not Kathy, not Kate. It's Catherine. And I remember just thinking to myself, that's fierce. I want, I, that's fierce. Like she, yeah. that woman's savage. I want to marry her. And um, <laughs> just like, I just, I just, I felt, I just felt so much. I just wanted to be with her. I wanted to get to know her more, all of those things. And I remember sitting around with some guys afterwards talking about all the girls and people that were there. And, and I said to them, I'm going to marry her. And they all kind of just laughed and were like, dude, she's out of your league. And so I was set though. I was, I was going to, I was convinced I was going to get, I was going to win her over. And so I, I did, I started just inviting her here and there. And um, she likes to tell people how she stood me up the first five times, which is true. She did stand me up after the first five dates and, um, but, but we found our way and it worked out. And here we are. I remember we started dating and, um, this was in May. We started dating in May. And by August, we were really thinking about marriage again. I met her the first time and said to myself, I want to marry her. And, um, I, of course I didn't tell her that, but later on we started talking about it. And in August I was at home in Texas and she was in BYUI and things kind of came to a head for me with this whole same gender stuff. I'd been thinking about it, it'd been on my mind. And I thought to myself, I remember praying and just being like, Heavenly Father, I've done everything I possibly can to be to to do things right. And this is still, I think, back when um a prevalent thought was like, hey, if you do if you live righteous enough, you can pray the gay away. And um and I kind of built my life around that thinking, hey, if I'm if I do things good enough, if I'm righteous enough, if I'm active enough, all of these things that um, it would change. And and as many people have come to realize, it doesn't. It doesn't change. It certainly didn't for me. I won't speak for everybody, but it didn't change for me. Well, there's a whole branch of like within our culture, within the LDS church or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And, um, and, and especially, I think, within the LGBTQ community, I hear the story a lot that we were ardent perfectionists because if we could just do every single other thing right, perhaps God wouldn't notice that we're gay and would let us in heaven anyway. And so it's kind of a, it's kind of a prevalent thought process. So, and, and I often introduce myself as a recovering perfectionist because it was <laughs> kind of like an addiction. And it's true, right? I mean, there, there was a lot of that, you know, I did all of the things and yes, cause I wanted to do them, but I think secretly inside there was a part of me that was like, Hey, if I do enough of these things, if I do it right, then this will all go away and things will be bliss and amazing. And it came to head in August of 2007. I remember having this prayer and really kind of being a little exasperated, being like, listen, God, I've been doing everything. I know I'm not perfect, but come on, cut me a break here. When, when, when can I expect this to go away? And I remember just as clearly as I had received that experience back in 2001, I had this experience in 2007 where God spoke to me and he said, Joseph, this isn't going away. But then he followed up with, but you and I are good. And to hear those words, I think I, all the years of looking for acceptance from other boys, acceptance from my peers, from women, from my family, from everybody, and not quite finding it or feeling like I could find it in just that, the, just that affirmation from God that, Hey, you and I are good. Did the trick. I mean, just healed me in such a way that I was like, okay, this wasn't the answer I was expecting, but if this is true and what you're saying is true, I'm okay. I can move forward feeling with the satisfaction that I'm doing the right thing, that, that you're, you're, you're good with me and that we're good. And, and so I did. And so shortly thereafter, I got a call from probably within a couple of days, I got a call from Catherine and it was kind of a cryptic call. And she says, Hey, I know. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, she's like, I know. I'm like, uh-huh. What do you know? <laughs> and she says, I read your essay. And I was like, what essay is she talking about? Why well, had written an essay for a scholarship. And in the essay, I talked about my same gender attraction and kind of how I had reconciled faith and, and my sexuality. And I was like, Oh, you read that essay. And she was like, yes. And I don't remember all the interaction, but she said something like, you know, well, you know, what do you have to say for yourself? And I was like, I really don't have anything to say. Do you have anything to say? Or do you have any questions? And she's like, well, I got a lot to think about. I'm like, well, take your time, go think about it. 
which she did. And after about a week, she came back and we had a good conversation. And she said, you know, I think I can do this, but I need to know two things. And I was like, okay. She said, one, I don't want to be a martyr. And she started going on about how, you know, she's, she's her own person and she's not doing this as a favor for you. And she doesn't want to be a victim. And I just stopped her. And I was like, listen, I'm good looking. I've got a lot going for me. You're not doing me any favors by going into this relationship with me. And, and so we were square on that one and she was good. And, um, and then she said the second thing, we both had like such high self-worth, right. That you totally, and and, and that's so important because you were, she was in a healthy place. With, with her self-concept, you were in a healthy place with your self-concept. And so that, that's kind of a great starting point for any relationship, I think. Right. And so, so then she said, the other thing I need to know is, are you attracted to me? And I said, absolutely. Yes. Yes. I think you're, I think you're amazing. I think you're beautiful. I think you're wonderful. I might've even said, I think you're hot. Um, but she, she was just so cool. And this is going to sound so like egotistical, but I just felt like she was my equal in many ways that I hadn't quite found in other women. And, um, anyway, and I was, I was looking forward to sharing a life with her. So we proceeded with marriage. Our, our engagement was pretty rocky. There were a lot of people who were like, I don't know if this is going to work. I don't know if y'all should get married. And, um, and, but it wasn't related to the same gender attraction. It was just two big personalities trying to figure stuff out. And, um, you know, she had emotional work that she needed to do. I had some that I needed to do and, and we just worked through it. And I think that kind of has defined our marriage that whatever challenges come, we just, we just roll with it and we work through it. And I think that's important in any kind of relationship, I, you know, mixed orientation or not. I think learning and having the capability to, to work through challenges in healthy ways and not allowing those challenges to define the relationship or even define um, how, you, how you live in that relationship, um, but instead navigating and overcoming through those challenges. So um, it was, it was a great start, Rocky, but a great start to, to our relationship. Like I said, now we've been married for 13 years. We have six kids and um, wow, that's, that's, that's impressive. A lot of people who come from big families tend to have smaller families, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> At least that was my case. I, I came from six kids and uh, we have three. Um, so that, that's great. You guys have a house full of love and a house full of voices. Okay. But what about you, Jeff? So I know you've got this voices of hope video out there, but, but what keeps you at North star? I know you're serving in leadership today. Um, you know, what keeps you here? Yeah. So when I, well, when I, like I said earlier, when I first came across North star, um, or I should say before North star was even a thing, I think they had just kind of started, started up the organization, uh, meeting with Ty, I just had a whole different, different feel for what was happening. I felt like, Unlike previous organizations that shall remain unnamed, um, I felt like before <laughs> I had to fix myself before I could be good with Christ and good with God. Um, that I had to that I had to cure or fix my attractions. That I had to get all my behavior lined up, or God wasn't going to accept me. And so I felt very anxious, um, and I'm prone to anxiety anyway. Uh, and so I just felt like I needed to fix all these things. But when I, I encountered Ty and started listening to uh, the messaging messaging that was being put out. And this was about 2012, 2013. It really felt much more like come as you are and walk with Christ in the place that you're at. And Christ is with you and focus on your relationship with him and not all this other stuff that kind of gets in my head. And so uh, that was that was key for me because I think my relationship with Christ has always been central. I've always been fairly easy to believe I recall in high school, the year in seminary that we read the Book of Mormon, uh, and we, you get to the end of the book, and of course, Moroni says, hey, if you want to know if this is true, you should ask. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm going to do that. And I got <laughs> on my knees, I'm like, hey, Heavenly Father, is the Book of Mormon true? And the response was, you already know the answer to that question. Why are you asking me? Because <laughs> <laughs> sometimes the Lord speaks to us a little bit sarcastically. <laughs> I should say sarcasm is a bit that's my love language anyway. Well, and, and I think, you know, there was that, that video, YouTube video by Michael McClain about how the Lord speaks to him and how the spirit, and I absolutely agree yeah. with you. I think the Lord knows each of us, Jeff, he knows you and he knows me. And he knows that if I, you know, he knows how to talk to me and he knows when to talk to me and all of that. So I, I, I can totally hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, 
belief was sort of a thing that came naturally to me. Uh, I've always understood myself as a spiritual son of God, and and my spirit has always kind of resonated with with uh, my relationship with Christ, with scriptural teachings. Um, my tribe, my people are at are at church, uh, despite the many flaws that I see, they love me for my flaws or with my flaws. I love them with their flaws. And I, I get a sense of really being home, being a military kid, moving around a lot. Like I don't have a home. I didn't have a home ward. It was wherever we lived. That was our home. And, but it was always a comfortable landing spot. Uh, whenever I moved, even like when we moved overseas and I had to go to church in a, in a cute little villa in Pozzuoli, Italy, uh, I walked inside and everything about it was foreign, except the people that were in there were like, yay, you're <laughs> and I've always felt that acceptance. And I think that's, again, that's a big important reason why as, as active Latter-day Saints, we need to be accepting and celebrating whoever walks in those doors and helping them feel comfortable. Um, I was always made to feel comfortable and I know that um, many are not, and that, that hurts my heart. So um I did serve a mission as well. It was right. I, I served my mission right after the first person in my life asked me if I was gay. And this was when I was uh, 18, almost 19. Uh, and I'm like, oh, yeah, I think that's what all this stuff means. And it, before that conversation, I was in such denial that I just thought, well, these things that I've done, the way that I felt, that's all just um, normal kind of childhood. It's not, it's not a thing. It's not who I am. But right before my mission... In fact, right before I got my mission call was the first time someone asked me if I was gay. And of course, I was so afraid. I denied and did all the deflecting that we do, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was not in a place where I could possibly uh, open up to a, a stranger about this, right? Let alone anyone that I trusted. Now, I'm, I'm about 10 years older than you, Joseph. So the messaging was was different. In fact, there really wasn't messaging except for um, some really difficult things to, to stomach uh, that came from the church. But otherwise, it was largely kind of silence. And so I was kind of left up to my own devices to figure things out. And like, and like you, I sort of thought if I did everything right, this would go away, right? And so I was afraid to talk to anyone. I will say that by doing so um, – I didn't get any bad advice and I wasn't sent to harmful <laughs> therapy. For example, I, yeah. I wasn't exposed to, con to conversion therapy. I wasn't sent off to camps where they electrocute kids. You know, none of that stuff happened because I didn't tell anyone. No one, in fact, no one told me to get married in order to fix this. And I, and I'm really grateful for that um, because what that allowed me to do was receive my own personal revelation for how I needed to live my, live my life. If I stay close to Christ, he will, you know, trust in the Lord, he will direct my path. And he did direct my paths, right, in, in all things. And so when uh, the Lord instructed me that I was to get married and have kids, I had no idea how that was going to work. My patriarchal blessing said, you will marry a woman of your choice. But how do you choose somebody who's not <laughs> attracted to people, right? <laughs> Yeah. I, always, I, you know, I was always into like, uh, the, the, the girls that I went out with when I was in high school and in college, uh, they were like awesome personalities. I didn't know about the attraction part, but I'm like, you're so cool. I want to be your friend. We should go on dates. And <laughs> for a few weeks, the response was, it's like, we're still friends, Jeff. And I'm like, yes, I'm really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> But I You're didn't like, know yeah, how to be. I didn't know how to be romantically involved. But I, I didn't yeah. want to marry somebody in the temple only to have them say, "Jeff, it's like we're still friends," and the normal breakup that would kind of follow. Um, but I trusted that something would happen, and I had this great best friend. Her name was Sarah. We met in the very first class on the very first day of school when I was back for my mission. It was Tuesday morning, eight o'clock in the morning, um, in the E wing of the Harris Fine Arts Center, and she sat right behind me in our in this uh, music education class that we had together. Uh, we were both sophomores, and um, and we just became fast friends. And we studied together. We did all sorts of things. I was actually dating other people. She was dating other people. Everyone thought that she and I were actually dating each other. They were very surprised to find out that I was not, <laughs> that we were not, in fact, dating. In fact, when we, when we had kind of announced that we were dating, uh, the biggest reaction was, um, we thought you already were. So, <laughs> <laughs> but fact, I think that's probably yeah. helpful, right? Having kind of a, yeah. a strong foundation. I know where this story ends, but I think that 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 in large measure lays a really strong foundation on which to build a relationship. 
I think so. Exactly. So in our relationship, the friendship part has always come easy, but I didn't know how to be romantic and I didn't know how to be intimate, like physically intimate with somebody. And, and so I needed that. I needed to be attracted to, to my wife. Otherwise, I knew it wasn't going to last sort of instinctively. So uh, God gave me both of those pieces of revelation, right? Um, and I... And and it was revelatory to look across the table at Sarah in the in the library down in the basement and just think to myself, she's so beautiful. <laughs> and yes, feeling, and feeling yes. that romantic stir, and I'm like, well, that's interesting. How do I follow this up? And and I had to just trust that that was what it was. It was from the Lord. And. Uh, for me, at least with my, my journey with personal revelation, I, ne- I never get confirmation until after I step like in Indiana Jones, yeah. right? In the mm-hmm. last crusade, you have to step off that <laughs> cliff before you see the bridge. So uh, once, once I had, Sarah and I had had that conversation that, um, uh, you know, that I was in love with her and I thought we should date, maybe get married. In fact, we, we went from, are we dating? Yeah to, well, let's figure out uh, temple prep classes to pulling out our Franklin planners <laughs> and finding a date that would work that summer. So it went, that was all within a matter of about an hour. Um, but I, I knew it. that, but I, but I, I had, I had been in the temple and those, the spirit had affirmed that that was good. And then after the, the decision was made, that's when I had like with you, Joseph, a very powerful spiritual experience that confirmed that, that that was in fact what I was to do. And it would bring eternal joy. It would bring um, joy in this life. It would bring a fruition of so many blessings that had been promised to me uh, that I, you know, can relate back to in my patriarchal blessing. And I think um, that's important. I think for who, whatever the journey is, whoever it is, especially when it comes to the spiritual things, this I think this is what the brethren are talking about when they say you can't live on somebody else's testimony. It's right. having these spiritual one-on-one moments with a, a God that is real, that speaks to you in a way that nothing or no one else does. And it transcends, it goes from this faith to like, oh, you're real. This is actually happening. Yeah, and I think right. that's transformative. I think without that, I don't know that I'd be on this path. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And I think like, um, I will say this, that, that if you stay close to the spirit, stay close to Christ, you're going to find yourself on the path that that was designed for you, right? I think Elder Maxwell described it as an individualized curricula for each of us. Yeah, right? and and so what I would say to to the listeners out there this this is my path, and and I fully own it and embrace it as a product of the inspiration that I that I received. And I would encourage each of you to find that path for you. Stay close to Christ, um, and or the Spirit, however that looks for you. And, and be curious about where it leads you and, and open your mind to various possibilities. Because I've seen many people stay close to the Spirit and end up on divergent paths. And I think that's okay. I think that's okay. But if, if the Spirit guides you towards um, membership in the church, um, there is a place for you here. And there's a way to kind of do that. And a, a huge community, right? We just had our conference this past weekend. Uh, actually, I don't know when this is going to air. We had our conference in June, uh, <laughs> June 10th through 12th. And there's a whole community of people who have received, at least in part, that that revelation that this is the place to be. And this is the place for your progression. And there are many of us in that space, right? And I was going to ask you about that, Joseph, because this was your first conference. The, for, for me, I've attended every North Star conference since they began, which was the first one was in 2014. And I've attended every one. And, and let me just tell you really fast. My first one, uh, I listened to some of the keynote addresses, and I just felt like the spirit was so strong. And again, this is this is my home. This is my people. This is my tribe. Um, and I've gone back every year and have had that exact same spiritual impression. So what was it like for you, Joseph? Because uh, this was your first conference. Oh, my gosh. This was like, Jeff, it was nuts. It was. So you're right. This is this was my first North Star conference. And I'd been I've been involved with the North Star for some time now. And um, I've done a, a number of things, but I've always been away from Utah and kind of the Utah hub. And I've just for whatever reason, it's not worked out for me to be there, um, at the conferences. And so this year I was just at a place in my life where I felt like, okay, I need to do this. And I did. And I wasn't sure how I felt about it. I was nervous. You know, I was nervous. You know, I know, I, of course I know you and I know a handful, handful of other people, but there'd be a lot of other people that I didn't know. And I, 
it was just nerve. I was just nervous. And so, but I made the decision, Catherine and I talked about it and we felt like this was the right thing to do. And I ended up going and I remember when I first got there on Thursday um, for the opening social, I was, had all this anxiety built up. You were working late, so you couldn't be there right when I got there. And um, which I think is how it should have happened. Um, so I show up, I get out of my car and um, Victoria, who hopefully more people get to know Victoria. Yeah, but Victoria, Victoria Adams. She's wonderful. Victoria Adams was walking up to me and she didn't know me, but she put her hand on me and she said, Hey, I'm glad you're here. And in that moment, it just kind of all of that anxiety just kind of dissipated. And it's what I needed to know. And it was that first confirmation that, Hey, this is the right thing. And then thereafter, there were just experience after experience after experience on par with the two other experiences that I've described earlier, where God was, there was like this channel and God was speaking directly to me. And, um, and he did that through music. He did that through testimonies. He did that through the breakout sessions that I, that I was in. He did that through the, the, you know, sidebar conversations that I was having with people. He spoke to me at lunchtime when I was, you know, people were sitting down and we're talking and I just remember walking away from there um, feeling rejuvenated and renewed. And, and I think I was kind of open about this. I'd been, I felt like I it's, I've been on this struggle for like the last six years. And part of it I think is feeling isolated from a support network, a number of things. And, um, but I remember distinctively while I was at this conference, um, the voice of the Lord coming to me and saying, don't you give up Joseph Pacone? And, um, and it was an affirmation that God knows me, man. He knows me. He knows us. And he, he inspired not only me to go to this conference, but he inspired a host of people to put this together, to give hope to people. You know, the theme was trust in the Lord. And I know for me personally, walking away from that conference, my trust in the Lord has been renewed. My trust in his time, my trust in his peace, my trust in his ways has been renewed. And um, anyway, it was just such a powerful experience. You know, I keep talking to my kids and other people about it. I was just telling them about Nick Day's performance and Michael McLean's performance and how, um, man, it just, it touched me in such a really... Um, real spiritual way. And so anyway, it's good to be back and it's good to be able to share that. I've been sharing it with people at work. I've been sharing it with people here in my branch locally um, because it's, it just had a tremendous impact on me. I'm really glad I went. Yeah. And I'm so glad you went too. I, I mean, it was personally just wonderful to see you again. Uh, you're, you're one of the, the dear people in my life that I'm, I, I'm just so blessed to know. And so I'm glad that you, that you've come, that you found kind of your family and we'd encourage all to kind of come and see it, it, This is a great place to be. There are lots of organizations to choose from. And so please find the place where you feel, um, loved, where you feel accepted, however that looks right. But I know that with, with those of us at North star, we are, we are walking a certain path and it, and it's the path that we feel the most inspired to walk. Right. Um, and for me, at least, uh, it kind of keeps me, uh, I feel very, very in tune with my savior, um, in, in, in this particular organization. And I feel supported in that. And that I, I love, uh, our current president, Spencer Thompson. That's kind of his big emphasis is being close to the savior. He's one of the people that I find to be one of the most Christ-like people that I know. And if you want to kind of see what that relationship could look like between you and Christ, um, spend five minutes with him, listen to his testimony. Um, and it inspires me to improve my own relationship with my savior. I don't know if you picked up on that, Joseph. Well, well, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, I don't know that I'd add too much more there, but, um, I think there's, for me, there's always like a skepticism for things that are non, um, like brethren church stuff. When it comes to spiritual things, I just, um, they just fall short of, of, what I need in my life spiritually and they just don't connect. But I feel like North star has always met that need. And I think in large measure it's because it's alignment with the gospel of Jesus Christ as taught and as held by the church of Jesus Christ, the Latter day saints. And, um, and that has meant, that's meant the world to me. It yeah, really does. Um, it brings a lot of power, a lot of, a lot of, um, you know, empowerment um, to be able to, to stay on this path and, and find what I need. And so anyway, I think it's great. 
we, yeah. Jeff, we've spent a lot of time talking today and, and he and I joked when we started this that we could talk forever. And, um, and I'm so grateful that you invited me, that you thought of me, Jeff, um, to join you on this podcast. I'm really excited to be a co-host here. Um, any kind of closing words, Jeff, before we wrap? Yeah, I just want to say that, you know, the initial vision of Voices of Hope, it was to kind of have this uh, a thousand a thousand voices available to people to to find hope in their journeys, to maybe maybe find the thing that resonates with them. Um, because we know there are a lot of voices out there and and voices that resonate with different people on different levels. But we want to just kind of reiterate that that the voices that we're going to collect here will add to the original manuscript that was published more than a decade ago that will add to the website, the voices of hope website, where you can find a number of different videos of individuals um, who have shared their life experiences. We hope to add that. So we're going to, we're going to be bringing a lot of guests on that, that can kind of uh, tell their stories and, and help people understand um, ways to navigate these really tricky and sensitive conversations. And we hope that you find resonance with that, that your spirits resonate with the messages that are shared. You know, I think everyone that we, that I've met through this organization have been very sincere in how they understand themselves. We're not delusional. We truly have struggled and wrestled uh, to take that wrestling metaphor even further. Uh, the, at the testimony meeting, people said that it wasn't like a wrestling with God. God like was picking them up in the air to body slam them. Like, and and one one person described like their limbs flailing about as God was ready to body slam. Like, it wasn't just a wrestle; it was a full engagement. Uh, another person kind of described it as more like what Hulk did to Loki in in the <laughs> Avengers, right? So some sometimes our struggles are are painful, but they're real. They're sincere. And I hope that you will join us as we release these podcasts. We have four sets of hosts and they're all fantastic people whom I know and love. Um, and we hope to bring into your lives a bit of this hope that we have found through the organization of North star. Thanks for, thanks for sharing that, Jeff. You know, it's been great to have the opportunity to interview each other and get to share our stories to our listeners. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We, um, we hope that you found something of value that you can keep it in your heart and share it with your family, friends, and community. While this podcast supports the teachings of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we're not sponsored by the church nor directly affiliated with the church. All opinions and views expressed here are those of our team of volunteers, guests, hosts, and the North Star community. So until next time, have a great day. Thanks, guys. <laughs>